This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. In politics, sometimes you want to keep an even keel. Not everything is a full-blown panic after all. This too shall pass. To react to every noise with alarm makes you jumpy and unready when the real crisis shows up. Because make no mistake, sometimes the real crisis shows up. At the end of last week, something remarkable happened. The second largest bank in United States history failed. Silicon Valley Bank went from riding high during the tech boom of the pandemic to non-existent. At least they outlasted Cuomo and wearing a mask to the beach. But there's a lot of context to this. SVB wasn't a normal bank. They were a highly specialized regional one. And that region was the fertile crescent of venture capital-funded tech startups. They made some dumb bets, and there is strong suspicion that the insular nature of the Bay Area elite contributed greatly to the bank run that killed the institution. Because this isn't like 2008. Right? When the number one bank collapsed? That was Washington Mutual. And by the time that they went under, everyone knew why. Subprime mortgages went pop. People got houses that couldn't afford them. And when that became clear, the house of cards came down. You throw Margot Robbie in a bathtub, give an Oscar to a movie about a book that wasn't filmable, and we've all learned our lesson, right? Because this right now just keeps getting weirder. The economy is good. Inflation is up. Nobody feels sure about it. And yet the economy still grows. But still, man, it can't be a good sign when a big bank fails. Right? Especially when the third largest bank fails within 48 hours of Silicon Valley. And then the president comes out to pre-bail out banks and depositors. But don't call it a bailout and don't call it a precedent unless we should call it both. On this episode of the Politics, Politics, Politics show, we're going to take a look at what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. If it's an indicator that we are entering or are in a recession and compare the Biden administration to others who have dealt with financial crisis. My name is Justin Robert Young. But first... Before I uh, leave for California, I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. 
Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, All right, Joe, let me take it from here. Here's what was announced earlier this week. The federal government will provide Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank's depositors with full access to their funds over the $250,000 that's insured by the FDIC. This averts painful financial uncertainty and the threat of heavy losses for thousands of venture-backed startups. More critically, the Federal Reserve will provide a lifeline to the nation's banks. It will single-handedly give all other similar lenders access to funds designated to keep them afloat and quell a panic brewing across the country. This makes the Biden administration, for better or worse... The people who will own this sector's future financial stability. It also sends a message about the government's willingness to rescue private businesses in new ways. More interestingly, it's done without passing any kind of legislation in Congress or holding any kind of hearings. But wait a minute. Let's go back. What the hell happened? <laughs> So much, so much <laughs> happened. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the failures of risk management in the banking world? Do you want to talk about the zero interest rate environment that led to so much money sloshing around that it distorted literally everything about banking? Or do you want to talk about the political fallout of what will surely be referred to as a bailout until the end of time, whether it is or isn't? Let's get to all of it eventually. But first, tell them who you are, Molly. Hey, I'm Molly Wood. I am an early stage climate tech investor and formerly a 20 plus year veteran of technology and business journalism. So let's get some banking basics 101 out of the way here first. Way a bank works is this. You give money to a bank. Why would you do that? Why don't you just put it under your mattress? Because you're going to get interest on that money. Them holding your money earns you money. But that means for the bank that them holding your money is costing them money. So on the other end, they want to lend that money out. And they want to charge people for the ability to get that money lent to them at more of a price than they are paying you to give the money in the first place. So with all that in mind, let's transport back in time to the heady days of the COVID lockdown. Everybody with a white collar job is at home and many people are experiencing online situations that they haven't before. Boy, did your mom and uh, dad learn Zoom really fast after it was the only way that they could see their grandkids. With all that in the air and tech stocks booming, Silicon Valley Bank finds themselves in a very interesting conundrum. Between 2019 and 2022, the amount of money that it took in because of its clientele. This is a bank that served over 50% of the tech industry. So investors, venture capital firms, and startups who were getting funded at an astonishing rate because of this zero rate environment that we were in. Money was effectively free. Valuations were through the roof, meaning that a company could go out with basically zero revenue and say, hey, I would like $20 million at a $100 million valuation. And then I'll use that money to build my product and maybe start making money. 
And venture capitalists were like, cool, sounds great. What could go wrong? Here's $20 million. And then they would put that money in Silicon Valley Bank. And most of them were so early that they didn't even have a, a, you know, a responsible chief financial officer who would say, hey, actually, when you have that much money, you should spread that across several banks. You want to de-risk your situation. There's a whole treasury management thing that should happen. So Silicon Valley Bank is taking in a ton of deposits because everybody has money. One thing that startups and venture capitalists generally don't need in a booming environment is loans or other financial services that make money for the bank. So the bank found itself with an asymmetry. So what Silicon Valley Bank did was try to find a return, a reliable return by buying government paper. They bought, you know, 10 year bonds tied to securities, tied to mortgages. So asset backed mortgage securities. This is a podcast called Politics, 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 not Finance, Finance, Finance. So we're going to do some high level skimming on this. Essentially, the bets that Silicon Valley Bank made were stupid because even at the time that they took out these long treasury notes that locked them into a certain interest rate, it was pretty clear that the interest rates would go up or especially would probably go up between when they made the bets and 10 years from now. That meant that they were going to take a bath on what was supposed to give them breathing room because they were doing too much taking money in and not enough lending money out. Then, lo and behold, interest rates not only go up, but start going up at historic rates. And word starts to get around Silicon Valley that Silicon Valley Bank might be in trouble. And at some point, someone looks at their public filings and goes, huh, the value of the deposits all of a sudden compared to the amount of money that is locked up in these long-term securities that don't pay anything is starting to look problematic. And this actually happened a month ago, if not more. A month ago-ish is when we saw the first venture capital firm pull some money out, Green Oak, I think it's called, pull some money out and issue a warning and say SVB might be in some trouble. We think First Republic could also be in some trouble. We're taking our money out. So what we are about to describe is a bank run. This is a societal contagion. And usually the metaphor that people use to describe a bank run is from It's a Wonderful Life. But to be totally honest, I've always found It's a Wonderful Life to be kind of a dark movie. I mean, it has Jimmy Stewart about to commit suicide before an angel comes in and rescues him through psychological torture. And since bank runs are social contagions and this is a public podcast and I don't want the financial blood on my hands of everybody getting all worked up. Instead, I'm going to use a more peaceful metaphor. Imagine a bank run like a wave. Way out in the ocean, there's just some water that's sort of moving around. And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of momentum. So think of that little bit of momentum like that first VC firm that said that they wanted their money back. But because Silicon Valley is not that big of a place, all of a sudden, word gets around. And that's more of the momentum, more of the momentum. And maybe the first time that there is a slack room started with a bunch of VCs that get in on it, 
to talk about something like that. That's our first white cap, right? And all of a sudden, before anyone knows it, there is a rush toward the shore. And by the time that it breaks on the sand, we have a bank run at Silicon Valley. Even more impactful, it's not just the venture capitalists that have their money in Silicon Valley Bank. It's also the startups that they're funding. Therefore, the bank run that already is disproportionately controlled by a handful of venture capitalists is even further controlled when they start telling the companies that they are funding to also take their money out. Here's an example. An employee at a startup that was a customer at Silicon Valley Bank listens to this show, isn't that nice? And they wrote in with the following story. We were an SVB customer. Just like 90% of startups, we got a heads up before the bank run and ended up getting most of our funds out. Now the FDIC is making a fund out of the remaining deposits to pay out customers anyway. This was such a big deal in the startup world that 30 or 40% of the organizations couldn't make payroll last week. Many VC firms stepped in to offer bridge loans just to keep the places running. And add to that, the people are scared right now in Silicon Valley. The swaggering three-comma club bros that dominated the last 20 years, making products that defined our culture and billions in the process, are seeing a bit of a dark future. Because they're watching their own Balance sheets get smaller as the stock market drops. They're looking at a high interest rate environment, and a lot of them have not operated like this before. Like, we've been in a a zero interest rate environment effectively for almost over 12 years. Like, there are investors right now who have never seen a down market at all. Yeah. And they don't know what to do. And their companies are already starting to fail, like even before Silicon Valley Bank, right? It, venture capital has been put on lockdown. There, There's this anticipation of a recession. It's probably like, it's probably stronger in the venture capital community for whatever reason than it is almost anywhere else. All right, all right, you convince me. Maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Maybe a lot of very specific circumstances that are connected and adjacent but not determinant of the economy all folded into one big unhappy goulash that happened to collapse a bank that happened to make the White House react to it. Not that big of a deal. Except, you know, there was that crypto bank that had to panic fold voluntarily like a couple weeks ago. Capital Corporate is now announcing their intent to uh, wind down their operations and voluntarily liquidate Silvergate Bank. So th- this this is just another negative headline coming from the company. Uh, just last week, they delayed their annual uh, uh, their annual report. They also on Friday they said that they were going to. And then a couple days later, another bank folded 
in New York, and that's the third largest bank that's ever collapsed in American history. Meanwhile, Signature Bank marks the third largest bank failure in U.S. history. Bank regulators shut the bank down on Sunday. And again, as you mentioned, this is the third largest bank closure in U.S. history. To some extent, this is uh, part of the panic surrounding the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, which has left many small and mid-sized banks like Signature Bank vulnerable to bank <laughs> runs. But New York Governor Capitol- So this is like a wave of waves. The wave that took down Silicon Valley has now spread across the country and took down Signature. Oh, geez. Well, that was... The number three, Signature was number three. Silicon Valley was number two. Maybe we need to learn about what is happening by studying the number one bank collapse in American history. Washington Mutual has gone under, seized by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation on Thursday. The FDIC then turned around and sold WAMU's thrift banking assets to J.P. Morgan Chase for nearly $2 billion. Okay, Washington Mutual. Let's just find somebody who wrote the book on the Washington Mutual collapse. I'm Kirsten Grind, and I'm an investigative reporter at The Wall Street Journal. And, oh, I should say, and the author of The Lost Bank about Washington Mutual's collapse. Kirsten, thank God you're here. Do you see any kind of similarity between what just happened with Silicon Valley Bank and the 2008 collapse that you covered so well. There are a lot of differences with what's going on now with Silicon Valley Bank and other regional banks, but I would say one of the similarities is these bank runs. And I think everyone like me who covered the financial crisis closely is sort of having this crazy deja vu moment because it's been more than a decade since we've truly had a bank run play out like this. Oh, no. We talk more to Kirsten. We look into 2008 to see if there's anything that we can see that lets us know how we are going to get out of this. And then we talk about the Joe Biden question. Is this a bailout? And will he pay a political cost for it? It's all coming up after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this independent political podcast that we're doing here, well, the best way to do it is to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is where you can support us on Patreon. A $1 a week donation gets you an ad-free feed of this show. By the way, Spotify announcing here at South by Southwest that you will now be able to integrate your Patreon bonus Links. There was a bit of a hinky way to do it before. Now it'll be fully integrated into your Spotify experience. Very excited about that. At the $3 level per week, you get two bonus episodes each and every week. One on Monday morning, one on Thursday afternoon. That's our late edition. And this is a product that none other than Tom Merritt texted me this week to say, it was a very informative program. If it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for you. 
head on over there, get the bonus content. But this isn't just an ad. This is also your update. Ron DeSantis drawing fire after he went on Fox News this week and said that the fight in Ukraine is not, quote, a vital national interest and further said that the United States should not be, quote, further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia. This has drawn a rebuke on Capitol Hill from not only Democratic, but also Republican Congress folk, including Senator John Cornyn and Marco Rubio. This is actually a very interesting kind of line in the sand because... Ron DeSantis is running in the Donald Trump America first lane. Essentially, his pitch to voters is going to be, I'm Trump, but I'll actually get things done. Because there is a sense from many on the right that Donald Trump talked a good game, but by the time that he got up to plate, he whiffed. So you can't be America first and also Ukraine gets a blank check forever. You could be pro-Ukraine You can say, I hope Ukraine wins. You can say, I want to sell Ukraine weapons. But if you want to be America first, especially in a Republican primary, you can't just say, cool, blank check. There we go. Sticking in Congress, George Santos has filed paperwork for a 2024 re-election bid. Whether or not he will run is up in the air, but the man is now able to raise money for a 2024 run. Is there anything more on brand for Santos? And the otherwise lighthearted read corny comedy of the gridiron dinner in Washington, D.C. made way for some more serious commentary when Mike Pence said the following, quote, President Trump was wrong. I had no right to overturn the election and his reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol. I know that history will hold Donald Trump accountable. Quote, tourists don't injure 140 police officers by sightseeing. Tourists don't break down doors to get to the Speaker of the House or voice threats against public officials. Make no mistake, he continued, what happened that day was a disgrace and it mocks decency to portray it in any other way. Mike Pence has yet to announce his candidacy for president, but based on the bright line he has drawn between himself and his former boss, one can only imagine that it is days, if not weeks, away. And that is your update. Head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Sign up for either an ad-free feed, bonus episodes, or to get your name right at the end of this program. But that's it for the update. That's it for the plug. Let's get back to the show. Washington Mutual, that collapse in 2008 If we are going to describe it in, you know, the shortest amount of words possible, how would we do it? You know, it's actually easy to describe short. So if you can remember back to that time, there was the housing downturn. WAMU had made an enormous amount of bad loans. When the housing economy cratered, all of a sudden they were in a terrible situation. Customers got completely freaked out. 
started pulling their money. They suffered two ginormous bank runs. And then the federal regulator shut them down in September 2008. And it became the largest bank failure in U.S. history. You spent a long time researching your book, The Lost Bank. What are some of the most interesting findings that you came out of that investigation with? One of the most interesting things was actually talking to homeowners during this process. So this was a time when a lot of normal people like me and you were being sold these terrible mortgages with awful terms where it seemed good at first. And then down the line, you would pay like a bunch of money. And just hearing how WAMU was kind of convincing people into these mortgages was really eye opening and makes you think, man, I really got to read the fine print. So that was that was really surprising to be on the ground floor of that. But then also just even how the executives at the bank just got so caught up in this era of housing prices going up, you know, unendingly free money, all of this, and just thought it was a good idea to expand right into that. So when these people, prospective homeowners are being talked into these loans and you are not lying because I'm from Florida. Uh, everybody around me was, was uh, involved in stuff like this. Why was it advantageous at the time for Washington Mutual, which, which had a very good reputation for customer service to get predatory in terms of, of lending? So a bank really just wants to make as many mortgages as possible, right? And through much of WAMU's history, they were just very cautious about the kinds of loans they made. They were known as the friend of the family and everyone loved WAMU. What happened is in the early 2000s, they really pivoted to this reckless lending strategy to grow the bank so they could grow much bigger. So they got very focused on growth and cared a lot less about the customer. What happened in the aftermath when when the biggest bank failure in history happens? Politically, what does the federal government or the Federal Reserve do? Oh, it was terrible. I mean, first of all, it it came out of the blue, but it didn't come out of the blue. So WAMU collapsed several weeks after Lehman was taken over by the government. After Fannie and Freddie had gotten these big bailouts, we had already had a very big bank failure, IndyMac Bank. Still, everyone thought WAMU was very solid. So it was a shock and it was immediately sold to JP Morgan Chase, which was another shock because everyone sort of thought, well, why didn't the federal government give them bailout funds and then they could have continued? So all around, it was just a huge surprise and, you know, obviously continued the financial panic that was going on at the time. So those are the differences. We're not in a situation where Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank are the aftershocks of something. They are the first things. Now, it explains why Joe Biden and his administration decided that they wanted to take very quick action. Before the markets opened in Asia, they came out and said that Signature and Silicon Valley would have all of their deposits backed up. Now, the reason they very specifically said that there would not be any tax money going into it was because they don't want you to use the B word. Bailout. But is it a bailout? 
Here's Molly Wood again. I think it is a very clever solution in many ways. It's a rescue. There's no doubt about it. What the administration is saying is it, it is not a rescue of these banks in their current form, which I think is is how and maybe it's going to feel I think over time it's going to feel like a distinction without a difference. It's yeah. not being directly passed on to taxpayers. It's just not. It's not like the Federal Reserve came in and said, we will give you the money to keep your bank afloat and the same leadership will stay in and and shareholders in those banks will also be made whole. Right. That's none of that is happening. The The leadership at these banks have been fired. If you lost money trying to, you know, short Silicon Valley Bank in the stock market or invest in it like too bad. And the people who have money in the bank will get their money back. And that money will come from a pool of money funded by fees charged to banks. So yeah. the most direct interpretation here is that the banking industry as a whole is creating a pool of money that will pay back people who already have their money in the bank. And that it's just like, it's like the debt ceiling to pick a totally anodyne comparison. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's debt that already exists. It's, it's bills that just need to get paid. It just lets people get their money back. Long-term, we know that if banks have to pay fees and they have to pay more for this to happen, then that's definitely going to get passed on to consumers. But that's consumers, not taxpayers, if that makes sense. It's it's just the fees slowly going up, almost like it was being inflated, like 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 a balloon, right? And no one's yep. ever been upset about inflation, right? Exactly. No one's ever <laughs> blamed. <laughs> no one's ever been mad at banks. By the way, what about you, Kirsten? Is this a bailout? Bailout is such a politically charged word. I mean, in this sense. It is a bailout, right? Because those deposits weren't supposed to be insured and now they are insured. Um, whether or not we use that term, I personally think that they had to do something like that because, again, we were at the front of this contagion zone. And if yeah. they didn't do anything right then, you know, all these customers at a million other regional banks, whether it was you know, smart or not, we're just going to go to their bank on Monday and pull their money potentially. Right. And it does appear that for now, as I record this on Wednesday afternoon, that the contagion that was spreading over last week and the weekend seems to have cooled. But those regional banks aren't out of the woods just yet. Moody's Investor Services is weighing a credit downgrade for six regional banks. Those are San Francisco's First Republic, Phoenix-based Western Alliance, Banco Corporation, Dallas-based Comerica Bank, Kansas City's UMB Financial, Utah's Zions Bank, and Wichita, Kansas-based Intrust Financial. And all of those reviews will come because they are disproportionately vulnerable to a bank run. What the Biden administration has done is set a precedent. And it's something that they're going to have to really, really consider exactly how far that precedent stretches. And if this is something that becomes permanent, they're going to have to understand that there will likely be unintended consequences of numbers-based banking people trying to stretch their ability to make money 
as far as possible. The one good news for the Biden administration right now, they don't seem to have a ton of opposition to this particular move across the aisle. Republicans have largely given it a thumbs up. If anything, the biggest liability for the Biden administration isn't whether or not they bailed out Silicon Valley or Signature. Hell, it won't even be if they bail out other regional banks. It might not even be if they bail out a major bank. The biggest problem for Joe Biden right now is quite simply, is this the beginning of a recession? And even after all the conversations that we've had today, I still don't know. Jobs report came out last week and it was higher than expectations, although it does appear to be slowing. The consumer price index came out today as I am recording this. And while it's still a 6% increase than what happened last year, it's in line with what expectations are. So it doesn't appear that we are headed off a cliff, but we might be inching off one. And then there's the federal interest rate of it all. There is a question about whether or not the fact that these rates keep going up and up are putting undue stress on the banks. And if we've already seen to fail, will Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, take that into account? He said that he is going to keep raising interest rates until we have inflation under control. Well, we don't really have inflation under control. But will a call from old Joe maybe change his mind a little bit? Ease up, at least for the time being? That remains to be seen. The political reality is this. It's the economy, stupid. And the sooner that it turns down, the worse it is for Joe Biden. The ideal for Joe Biden would be for it to get bad at a point where he can put in some kind of hero show to say that he is stop gapping certain things. But most people's opinion about the candidates and their plans for America will already be baked in. If that happens now, then the Republicans, be it Trump, DeSantis, or somebody else, will have an opportunity to formulate their entire campaign against Joe Biden on the one thing that will always turn an election. The economy. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thank you to Kirsten Grind, the author of The Lost Bank, uh, for coming on the show and talking about the 2008 Washington mutual collapse, you can thank her on Twitter by going to px 3 guest. Dot com. That is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You can also head over to thank Molly Wood, Molly's family. So we don't need to give her the URL. You can just go find her on Twitter at Molly Wood. 
You can email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit up the show on Twitter at px3tweets and myself on Twitter at Justin R. Young. You can uh, follow me live on the Twitch platform, talking politics and answering any question that you might have for me. That is px3live.com. Sign up to get updates of when I go live, but it's usually Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning central time. If you would like to share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, you can do so, px3podcast.com. Meanwhile, if you would like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything you'd like physically to me in the mail, P.O. Box, 153184 Austin, Texas 78715 Again, that is Post Office Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715 Of course, you could always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 $10 tier. Dustin, Jason, Andres, C. Garcia, El Basso, John, Matt, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DP4, Bongo, Niemeister, Catherine, Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, Select, Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Aegis, Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, if you would like your name read on this program, there's only one way to do it, and that is to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, sign up at that $10 tier, And let your name ring out in history. Do you want your name on the episode when Ron DeSantis runs during those first debates? When Mike Pence gets in the race? Can you imagine the things that Donald Trump is saying about Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis? By the way, update. Ron DeSanctimonious out. Donald Trump did a a video where he was talking about how easy it is to govern Florida, saying that both Rick Scott and Charlie Crist did a good job. Charlie Crist, by the way, was a Republican at the time that he ran Florida. He has since become a Democrat. He is or was a congressman, ran for governor again and lost twice. Trump did not mention the governor before Charlie Crist, you know. Jeb Bush said it's very easy to govern Florida. More importantly, he debuted the new Ron DeSantis nickname, not DeSanctimonious, just DeSanctis. I got to say, these are getting sloppier. Chat GPT-4 would have been would have been better. Anyway, that's it for us today. Until next time. This is your old boy, Justin Robert Young, saying 
Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.